Well, hello to everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, my name is Steve Wiss, and I'm joined as ever by Jonathan for Doug. But we're back uh, two weeks running here. Jonathan, how are you doing? Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. Yeah, we uh, just literally before recording this, uh, starting this recording, Steve said the words, I think it's, this is going to be a feisty one. So um, let's see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting one. It's been a very interesting week in both leagues, Norway and Sweden. So I'm looking forward to getting into it, Steve. I know you've got a few things to get off your chest this week. Um, but yeah, how, how are you doing? And uh, thank you to everyone listening. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Um, improved from last week. I was a bit ill last week, as you know. Just about managed to get through the episode with my voice. Um, still not 100%, it must be said. But uh, yeah, I do have plenty to say about both Alsvenskan and Elita Serien this week. I think there's been plenty of t- talking points. And, um, you know, it was a real toss of the coin which where we started this week. But we are going to be starting in Sweden because it was, I have to say, absolutely remarkable round in terms of results. I have never, ever known uh, around anywhere in the world, really, of, of a significant league where every single match resulted in an away win. Every single match was an away win and seven of the eight matches were exactly by a 2-1 score which is incredible really isn't it um <laughs> what the hell is that about absolutely ridiculous uh results i, I will go through them now um let's say the 4-0 win was elfsborg against kalmar and every other match ended in a 2-1 away win so varberg won against ef core halmstad won against norshipping mialby won against malmo Hammerby won against Sirius. Hecken won against Aikor. Degafors with a, a rare away win against Bromopoikana. And Jorgarten beating Varnamo 2-1 as well. I mean, some of these wins were big, un- big, big underdogs on the road as well. It's not like they were heavy favourites or anything. Um, so, remarkable round, Joth. Just talk me through that. I mean, Svenskin is, is known for being generally quite home, fairly home dominant. So, just an anomaly, perhaps. Yeah, great question and a great place to start. Um, if you obviously want to listen to the noise section, you can mm. skip to part two, but hopefully you'll stick around. Um, that's the beauty of podcasts. You can move forward and backwards as you wish. Uh, but yeah, funnily enough, we had, this, we had this question from Jim Cod, uh, James, Jim underscore Cod 83, and well spotted to him as well. He's only uh, he's from London, apparently, according to his Twitter bio, where he said, every Osvenskan game was won by the away side. Was this the first time it's ever happened? I have to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. And I, my, I'd hazard a guess and say no, but I, I don't know. As you've mentioned, they're almost every single game ending 2-1 to the away team. It's only Elfborg uh, breaking the form guy with that 4-0 win. Um, but yeah, I, I can't remember it being this um, home, this away dominant, Steve. I mean, I do think in general, away football, I think modern football has kind of changed to the point where playing away from home is no longer really an issue. I think now with... Uh, modernization of pitches I think with kind of better um, game analysis video analysis you can watch teams it's not like you you know if you think maybe 30 40 50 years ago you're, you're traveling and to a bit of the unknown maybe you've not maybe you've got one VHS of a of the team playing but that's about it you know and maybe you've got a dodgy bus ride and things like that nowadays it's more luxurious travel even in even in leagues like this maybe second tier leagues um, I know that there are some tougher away trips but you know, there's no uh, there's no Gibson's far this season, for example. There's no Ostersunds, you know, where you're really travelling um, up 
deep north kind of thing. So there's a bit more, I think there's a little bit less travel in the league this year. Um, and of course, just the fact that, like I say, more and more the game is modernised. It's easy to watch these teams inside out and you've got analysts and statist- statisticians going through everything. So maybe you think that that's a little theory. I'm not, you know, I don't know if that necessarily gives any answers, but at least maybe just some positing about to why why this could be. And it's just maybe a bit of an anomaly this week. Um, but I think those are some factors in terms of, even with the Champions League, obviously they've, they've scrapped away goals, haven't they? And I think one of the reasons for that is because I, I don't think it's as much relevant anymore in terms of it's not it's not a huge disadvantage anymore playing away from home necessarily. Um, but yeah, every single team, uh, home team lost 2-1 except uh, Kalmar. Um, and the crazy thing is, Steve, there's some team, there were some big teams who played at home this week as well. I mean, AOK played at home. Yeah. Of course, they've lost to the Champions. Hacken, tough game for Henning Berg, his first match in charge of um, of Oikor. They, they actually played quite well, took the lead. Um, and then Hacken came back into it in the second half and, and, and uh, sort of slightly weakened Hacken. They were missing some key men, but still managed to get the win and a big boost to them in their hopes to retain the title. But, you know, you, if you look through the card, as you've just mentioned there, you know, Malmo at home obviously lost. So you have caught lost to the bottom t- side in the league. So it's not any, you know, nor shopping even losing to Hamstad, where Hamstad were were the underdogs in that game and they pulled off a great win. Even Bromma Poikina, you know, they were probably the fa- they were the favourites going into this game against Degafor. So it's not even as if it was like every big team was away from home to explain it. It was generally just a, a bit of a crazy week. Yeah. And um, Elfsborg winning 4 0. Now, they actually were the shortest price of all the away teams in action this round. So it's not exactly a shock, but it is a result, which means we have a new leader in the Alsvenskan. 35 points for Elfsborg now. Um, Malmo losing against uh, Mialbi at home means they have a one-point lead. Hecken are back in the race again as well, perhaps. 32 points, although they played a game more than the top two. Um, We have been waxing lyrical about Elfsborg recently, but this was another very accomplished performance, helped by a red card. Um, don't know what you thought about that red card, Jonathan, but uh, four nil away, you can't knock that, can you? You can't knock that at all, and you can't knock Elfsborg. I think uh, I said it on Twitter after the game. It's definitely time to take them seriously as title contenders. Um, maybe going a little bit far to say favourite Steve, but I think this was the first week where. Uh, I think everyone will sit up and take notice of Elsborg now and say they're going to be any team's going to beat them is going to be in for a battle. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about Malmo in a minute and their their shock defeat, but um, that obviously paved the way for Elsborg to know that if they won their game, they played straight after them. They knew that with Malmo losing, if they were to win their game, they would go top, and they didn't hesitate or sweat at all. Really comfortable four 0 win. Uh, they were they were doing really well already before the the red card. Um, they they look calm, Steve. They look like a sort of the best way I describe it is Johan Larson after the game looked like he had, hadn't even played a game of football. He, he when he did his post match interview, cool as he like, uh, it was almost like a manager giving an interview. That's how he looked. He looked like he was, uh, you know, a manager just comes out and strolls into the touchline. You didn't think, you didn't you wouldn't have thought he just played ninety minutes. He looked he looked totally calm. He could have probably gone straight home, and not take a shower. Um, that's how dominant they were. Uh, you obviously the red card played played a part in it. You know, don't want to knock Kalmar too much. Shout out to to Wesson uh, and over Peterson. I'm sure they were very disappointed. Um, but the reality is, Steve, they were they were taken apart um, by uh, arguably the best team in the league this season so far. I think you'd have to probably argue on 
in every phase of the game they 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 have a they have an argument to be the best team in the in the league so far defensively um they've got the best defensive record in the league going forward they're, they're obviously they've got the third best attacking record but in terms of going forward and they're no, they're no slouches 34 goals scored in 14 games they've only lost one match and uh yeah the game did sort of change a little bit with the red card to ricardo friedrich our man formerly on the pod you can go back and listen to our interview with him the brazilian goalkeeper he's a bit of a sweeper keeper and the incident did happen when he sort of flew off his line to try and uh, make a make an intervention clattered into um an elfburg player and it was a red card but they were already one nil up at that time for the nicholas holt and then further goals from yeah Ockels, best foot zanelli and that man johan larsen steve i know you you're a big fan of his um to, to wrap it up basically so elfburg are looking really good and the one thing I would say about them is from watching that Malmo game to watching the Elsborg game, um, they look much more in control of the match than Malmo did. And I know it was a bit of a shock defeat, but even Malmo in recent games, um, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but there was a real calm and composure to Elsborg in the way they played that was a bit of a contrast to how Malmo played against Mialbi, where it started to get a bit frantic. And even from the bench and the dugout, like I have to say, Jimmy Tennant on the bench looks really comfortable at the moment. He looks really relaxed. Um, looks really calm. He transmits that calm to the to the players, and um, I think it was, it was definitely the weekend. Steve, we're about to hit the halfway point of the season. This was the weekend where you really sat up and thought to yourself, you know, no Jacob Andrejko as well. He's obviously gone to Belgium, their main man from the start of this season. This is the weekend where I really sat up and thought, you know, what else Burger they're going to be in this title race? Do you think Karl Mark could have done much different in this game, or was it a case of they were just simply outclassed? Because Kalmar in the last sort of Two, two and a half years have been, that's a tough place to go. No matter who's in charge of them, you know, you're expecting a really tough battle at Kalmar. They've got a decent squad. You know, they've had a decent season. They're still in the top six. Um, you know, I honestly looked at this. I didn't, it didn't surprise me that Elfsborg won, but I thought it's the sort of match where you may well drop some points because it's a tough place to go. But was it a case of just Elfsborg on the day? Way too good. Yeah, just way too good. And the red card uh, changed the complexion of the game. The thing with Kalmar, with the, their, their manager, Jensen, I think I read a stat saying they're one of the best two teams in the league in terms of um, patterns of play, uh, in terms of the the connectivity between the team. So they're, they're a team that really likes that possession style. I think they've tried to sort of replicate Reed Strummer, who left last season for Malmo, um, in, in their new manager. And I think he's gone for a similar sort of game model. He likes intricate build-up play. And um, they just couldn't get that side of the game going. They were very vulnerable on the on the on the break. Um, it's no surprise that the two fullbacks, Hult and Larson, both scored. Uh, wide areas, Kalmar were kind of exposed on that counter attack. Um, and I, I think that Kalmar are having a decent season, but they do they do sort of um, they are they can be hit and miss. They're a bit unpredictable at times, Kalmar. It's hard to know if they're going to show up or if they're going to um, not show up. And obviously, the red card did change it. But um, you know, Elfsborg haven't won the league since 2012. It's been a decade. And uh, I have to say, they they are looking like the real deal, I think, to be honest. Um, probably the best performance I've seen this season, maybe up there with one or two others, but I know the red card affected it, but it, it was arguably one of the most complete performances of the season, just in terms of calmness. They just didn't look, they just didn't look phased at any point in the match. Um, and I think that's a massive credit to to um, the club. As you mentioned, Kamar not having a bad season. You know, I think the new manager's come in and, and done quite well. You know, they've, they've got players who are sort of performing. I mean, I know Radjevic, for example, I, I was massive on him at the start of the season. Um, he was in our tent to watch, of course. 
and I, I rate him, but he's gone off the boil a little bit. Maybe in wide areas, just creativity-wise, they're not quite creating as much, maybe at times. Um, and sometimes just that transition to defence is a little bit weak at times. They, they are susceptible maybe every now and then to conceding goals. But um, but they are a solid team, so I, I agree. It wasn't didn't see a 4-0 coming. But obviously, once the red card came along, it was it was um, and then kind of errors at the back for for a couple of the goals as well. Just lack of composure, lack of marking, switching off things like that. They showed a few weaknesses. Cam, a bit of a soft underbelly, and um, Elsborg took full advantage of it and credit to them. Yeah, and the dangling carrot was there for Elsborg to get to the top of the table because earlier in the day, a huge shock result went down in Malmo. Probably the biggest shock result of the whole season so far Malmo one Mialbi two um I mean I don't think many people saw this one coming Jonathan Malmo had won their last three games combined um 11-1 goal differential they'd won six out of seven home games before this contest um but Mialbi came to town and well I I personally thought they did a hell of a job on them to be honest um what a result, what a performance. Um, I know you've got plenty to say about this game. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, shock of the round for sure. I think people doing their fantasy teams were were figuring out how they could pack as many Malmo players maybe into it as possible because they, they, they were probably the, especially going into this, I think I saw maybe around 10 to 1, something like that to win the match. Yeah, they were, they were the 10 to 1 uh, is what they kicked off as. The biggest price away team of the whole round. Yeah, they were completely written off, essentially. Um, but never write off Anders Torstensen and his boys. They they pulled off a fantastic win. He's done it before. They beat uh, Malmo in the 2021 season as well, away from home, on that amazing record, that run they had, where they were sort of conceding, uh, you know, they didn't concede any goals, if you know what I mean. They nearly broke the offense game record, if you remember back to that 2021 season, Stephen. Of course, we had, uh, we had Mr. Torstensen on the podcast at that point. Um, Mamadou Moro got a goal uh, back in October 2021. So they have got history. Um, Torstensen did say after the match, we are we enjoy our position as sort of the um, the bogey team, Malmo's bogey team. And uh, apparently there was a very rousing speech from Jesper Gustafsson before the match. Um, he gathered the troops and said basically that we fight all our lives for games like this, playing in front of 20,000 supporters, just under 20,000 in attendance. Um, you know, Mialbi are quite a small club, really. They're not a massive team. By any stretch of the imagination, Pontus Janssen um, back in Osvenskan for his his, his uh, return to Malmo as the returning hint king. He said, um, we should never be losing to a team like Mialbi, but they did lose to a team like Mialbi. And um, and it wasn't even wasn't even a fluke. It was a completely controlled, uh, deserved win. If you look at it, Steve, they completely outplayed Malmo, actually. Um, the first time I, I would say this season that Malmo have looked a little bit weak. There's been a lot of talk about Malmo, of course, with Reedstrom the way they play, um, the fluidity. I know you're going to ask me maybe where it's gone wrong a little bit and what's what's happening, but they did show a few weaknesses in this game, Malmo. And um, Miyabi took advantage of them with, for me, one of the best tactical displays I've seen all season um, from Miyabi. I thought it was a, I thought it was a masterclass tactically. Um, the best performance of the season, I think, in terms of a tactical shock, you know, a team going somewhere and and, and dominating someone and winning. And, of course, um, they picked up that 2-1 win, as you mentioned, lost Bist. With an early goal, uh, Fenger then made it two 0 before half time. The Nasi scored in ninety six minutes, so it was you know the game was almost done at that point. It was a bit of a sort of lucky late goal, really. But Malmo weren't really in, in this match at any any point in the game. Um, brilliant performance from Malmo. No, they weren't. 
No, they weren't. And um, it's interesting that I had quite a few people asking me about this game beforehand from a, a betting advice angle. And um, I, I said if 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 Malmo don't win, it's probably going to be nil-nil or one-all perhaps at absolute best. I basically suggested that Mialbi would just come here, park the bus, be hard to break down, not really come to play football, but be quite anti-football and frustrate Malmo. But I've got to be honest, and I want to ask you about their offensive play in this game because I was deadly impressed. They, they didn't just come here to sit back, did they? They actually came here to cause Malmo serious problems going forward. How did they manage to do that? They sucker punched them, Stephen. You know, your analysis is spot on. If 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 you were asking someone before the game, if you said before the game, Mialbi will win this match, how are they going to win it? You you would have said they'll park the bus, they'll sit behind, uh, you know, Oi Coyle played Bromer Poikana last week, Stephen. Um, we didn't really talk about it too much, but they uh, obviously, um, Brandstrom's last game in charge of Oi Coyle, there was literally a bus behind the goal. <laughs> Bromer Poikana Stadium's quite tight, and Oi Coyle's team bus was actually behind the goal. And you would have said that that's how Miami are going to win if they're going to beat Mamo away. It would be everyone back, camp in your box, do not leave your final third, deep block, boot everything into Rosehead and just just pray for the best. But it's not the case whatsoever, Steve. First goal, beautiful piece of uh, play down the right-hand side, ta- counter-attacking football, um, brilliant cross into the box and, and lost this with a header, um, bullet header into the back of the net. The second goal was almost identical, Steve. It was um, came from a free kick, I think, or a corner set piece, basically. They, they broke again. A lovely little play down the right-hand side. Cross into the box again and, and another finish this time, of course, like I said, Fenger. They actually outplayed them, in my opinion, Steve. I know the, when sometimes, you know, you look at stats and things like that, you know, you go and look at kind of like the match facts and you say, OK, well, you know, they had, I think, 30% possession, roughly. Um, seven shots to Malmo's 21 but you look at the XG, uh, according to FootMob, XG for Miyabi was 1.21, XG for Malmo 1.49. So it's not a massive difference. Five shots for Malmo on target to four shots for Miyabi. So this is, you know, I know they've, they've got no possession, but they've, what they've done with it, it's been almost, it's been as efficient, more efficient in the end than than, than Malmo. But what I think what the interesting takeaway from this, Steve, and it's going to play into the final half of the season, I think, this is a wake-up call for Malmo, in my opinion. Henry Riestrom said it himself. He said, you can, you can enter the final third a million times, but if you don't know what to do with it, then you've got no hope. And he said that we've basically, he said we, we've learned in this game that we're a lot further behind them than I expected um, in terms of final third play. Now, there's two factors in this, which I'll come to, but I think the key thing to point out where this game was won, in my opinion. Now, everyone know, everyone's been raving about Malmo's 3 4 3, right? We've all been talking about this this new Malmo way, a bit like Pep Guardiola style, where you've, you kind of like have play one less defender, essentially. Um, move one defender into the midfield zone, which is what they do with either Cisse or Busanello, and kind of overload that midfield. And then you've got those sort of like three forwards that can kind of interchange and, you know, Nanasi, Taha Ali, Saidan, uh, Vecchia, those sort of players, and, and and they can just win you the game with a bit of magic. But what Torstenson did in this game is he overloaded, he completely outthought like the 3-4-3 for two reasons, right? Well, number one, look at the back three of Malmo they got. Moisander, who's 36, 37 now, 37 years old, centre-back. They only play one centre-back, Steve. Moisander's the only centre-back on the pitch. Uh, two goals come from headers, so you, already you can figure that out and understand that. 
you've got Olsen at the back and then you've got Busanello as a sort of centre-back who pushes into the midfield, um, a left-back essentially. And then you've got Cissé who's the right-back, but he basically is a right-wing-back. So what did Torsonson do, Steve? Now, the key with Malmo this season, why they've been so strong, you know, Busanello has arguably been one of the, the best players in the league this season, I think. Um, Malmo's left-back. And a lot of their players come from that left-hand side, Busanello linking up with Nanasi, linking up with Vecchia, linking up with Taha Ali and getting crosses into the box and that kind of thing. What Torstensen did in this game is he overloaded that right-hand side and he basically played like, he basically shifted all his defenders to that side and just said, we're going to defend the right-hand zone. If the ball comes to the left-hand zone, in other words, if if um, if, if Malmo have it down their right-hand side with Cissé, we're fine with that. They don't consider Cissé as much of a threat as Busanello and Nanasi on that left-hand side. So they were like, fine, you can keep the ball on the right-hand side. We're going to overload this side of the pitch. And what that did, Steve, is it, it meant that Miabi, whenever the ball broke, they actually had more men in the central midfield zone than, than Malmo. Because the 3-4-3, of course, you've got you've got two midfielders, Oscar Levicki and Pena. Soren Reeks is out on the left-hand side. He can cut inside, but he wasn't doing that because he's out kind of trying to help Busanello and, and, um, and them sort of play. So... Number one, that was a the key. They were, they actually were overloading on a counter-attack, which meant they, they could get out of their midfield, get crosses into the box with the likes of Lothkis, the likes of Fenger, um, and 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 the lack of a the lack of height in that box for Malmo. They've got no they've got one centre back. That's where the two goals came from, crosses into the box. So really they've taken Malmo's strengths and turned them into weaknesses, essentially, because they're so good down that left, but they've completely throttled that left side. And they've said, you have it down the right. And we'll we'll deal with that, and we'll counterattack you. And the fact that you've got you're playing three defenders, we're gonna you know we think that's arrogant. We're gonna we're gonna pepper crosses into your box and uh, and and take advantage of the crosses into the box with the aerial height that we have. The second factor, Steve, obviously a mitigating circumstance for Malmo is the injuries they've got and the fact that they've they've been a bit unlucky, Malmo as well. And I, I, this is the this this is the key point for me is like this is going to decide now the rest of the season, and this is going to be a key part of the title race. How do Malmo recover from Christensen and Hugo Larson departing that midfield zone? Obviously, Christensen with a heart problem, that's something you can't foresee. It's really unlucky for him, and we, we wish him a speedy recovery, but he's out for the rest of the season. Larson's gone to Frankfurt for, what, 12 million euros. They played in this game with Levicki and Pena, who are comfortably much lower, much you know, much weaker as players than Larson and Christensen. Pena was okay, but I think personally, you know, he's, he's lucky he's not be in prison. At the end of the day, with his drink driving charge, um, reeks, and you know my final point, Steve. I know we're gonna, you know, I'm interested to get your thoughts as well on it. But my final point, just on that, and that point about the weakness of the squad, they had there's three players in this game, Steve. That I think this was their last, possibly their last chance under Reestrom at, Mal- at Malmo. Um, Zidane taken off in the 59th minute, Levicki taken off in the 59th minute, and reeks taken off in the 59th minute. Now with the signings of Jorgensen. Um, the signing of obviously uh, Otto Rosengren and of course Pontus Janssen and, and Malmo still look at the players. I personally, when they came off the pitch, Steve, in my opinion, I was thinking this might be the last time we see these three in a Malmo shirt or as a regular. I, 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 I'm not sure we'll see Reeks. Uh, I'm not sure we'll see Zidane. It's already been rumoured that AIK wants to sign Zidane. Um, Levicki's a bit of a, you know, he's an old Spence scan sort of, he's been around the block, he's only 30, but I just wonder in the back of my mind, is that the last we might see of them as kind of first choice regulars? Because I think Reeson was very disappointed with some of the players in this game. I feel like he gave Reeks, Zidane and Levicki a bit of a like a pro- prove what you can do in this match. And they've come up short, really. And I just wonder if that might be 
that might be them on the out now because um, I would imagine the likes of Jorgensen might get into the team now ahead of them. Yeah, well said. Some very, very interesting points there. Uh, I have to say, I think it was one of the best performances I've seen from a significant underdog in, in any league game across the world in a long time. Um, I've got to give massive credit to Anders Torsensen, who, you know, you know, I've always been a big fan of his work anyway, but even I underestimated him a bit here because I think Malmo came into this game and they 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 definitely underestimated Mialvi. They I think they expected quite an easy game. You know, they've been dominating so many matches of late that they thought they could just turn up and win fairly easily. Um, you know, the goals that they conceded were no fluke because they there was these pockets of space that these players from Mialbi managed to get headers in. Um, you know, it wasn't just that you know the, 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 the lack of height in the Malmo area, they weren't marked at times. So I think Torsonson's had a fantastic game plan. And the other problem, I've got a problem with um, with Malmo's tactics as well, because it just felt to me, I don't know about you, it's like they've got what they play one way, right? And don't get me wrong, it's worked really well this season. When it works, it's superb. But is there a plan B? Is there a plan C? I don't think there was any of that in this game. They couldn't adapt at all. There was no real changes. Um, anything that, to be fair, anything they did try, the Miyabi soon counteracted it. So, you know, huge credit. And um, does this, you're right, does it raise questions about Malmo? You know, this, it's a lovely system when it works, but do they have, do they need to be potentially more adaptable going, going uh, into the future, do you think? Yeah, I know you're going to, I know your next question is going to be about Ponzi answer, so we'll deal with him in a minute. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you. I think, this is why I think now, after the, the I think this is why Elsborg's win was so significant because I really genuinely think that was a laying down the marker, because Malmo have shown that basically what happened in this game, Steve, Anders Torsensen has laid the blueprint for how to beat Malmo. As simple as that. He's laid the blueprint. Now every other team watching this from now on, before that Malmo were like this sort of almost inevitable they're going to win the league. Every team that went there they get battered. A feeling of like sort of. Um, you know, you know when those sort of tight winning teams have just got that momentum and people start to fear playing them. That it was getting to that point with Malmo, but Torsonson's laid the blueprint here for how to beat them. Um, you know, you mentioned crosses into the box. I mean, if you look at the stats, uh, they had five accurate crosses in this game, Miaobi, to uh, to Malmo's six cross accurate crosses, but their completion rate of crosses forty five percent against Malmo's eighteen percent. So their crosses into the box were far better. Um, so that's an avenue for teams maybe to get our Malmo in the future. And as you mentioned, Reestrom said it after the game himself. He was, he was not happy with how easy it was to play against them in their final third entries. And what, what tends to happen, Steve, with, with Malmo is they sort of, um, it was when Taha Ali came on, I felt it was like they have they have like an emergency break glass thing. It's like if, if everything's going wrong, emergency break glass, bring Taha Ali on. And he just he's just a chaos chaos provider. He just, he, he started to unlock, unlock the game. It was literally like, Every single time they got the ball, it was like play out to that left wing to Tyler Alley and just sit. Hopefully, he does something. It almost got to that point. It was almost desperation. Um, he was just doing whatever he could, and he's such a good player that like he was. He did unbalance Mialbi actually almost single handedly, but there was just no one really to get on the end of chances, and it wasn't quite coming off because they were they packed that that right hand side as I mentioned, Torsonson with the likes of Gustafsson, um, the likes of Herman Johansson. Um, the other good staffs and obviously Noah Isla as well on loan from Malmo. He had a really good game at centre back. Um, and he, he did himself no harm in that match in terms of maybe returning. 
to Malmo next season. But yeah, I think that the reason we're talking about this game so long, it's not only that it was probably Malmo's worst game of the season. It's not only the fact that kind of um, the, the tactical masterclass from Torsten, but I think it's it's laid the blueprint for Malmo now in terms of other teams to beat them. And I, I just wonder, Steve, like, is this, you know, they, they're going to have to find a way around this and are they going to go into the transfer market and maybe bring some people in? Obviously, Rosengren has come in now. He'll replace Hugo Larson, I imagine, as, as a centre midfielder. Um, but how will he adapt? How will he settle in? They're now one point behind Ellsborg with, you know, nearly halfway point of the season. So, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see. And Rachel was clearly not happy after the game. He said that they kind of lack a plan B, like you said, and he kind of said that it's well and good getting into the final third, but if you don't know what to do with it, then 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 he said we're a lot further behind than, than I expected. So I think there's a lot to come from this. And, um, well, I won't wait for your question. In terms of Pontus Janssen, obviously, the, the, big, the big talking point before the game was his return to Osvenskan. You know, the Leeds man, Brentford man, he's, he's a big hero at Malmo. He's always been clear about being a Malmo fan. Um, Steve, I don't know if you remember it when we remember when we did a Twitter periscope about five, four or five years ago when uh, I went to Chelsea Malmo. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and uh, who, who was leading the away fans into the stadium? It was Pontus Janssen, who um, took a day off from, uh, I think it was Leeds at the time, maybe, and literally got in trouble from the club because he, he basically took the day off to go and to go and support Malmo. Essentially, and and um, he got, he got, I think he got a fine, didn't he, for missing training? Um, so he's a loved player at, at Malmo. They love him, but yeah, he, he was only on for a few minutes, so he didn't really get to make much of an impact. But um, not the best of returns to Osvenskan for him. Obviously, he, um, he ended the game chucking the ball at someone's head um, after the match because he was so annoyed. So yeah, not a good day for Malmo. No, it wasn't. And and just before we finish on them, you're absolutely right that the the amount of times they try and get Busanello and Nanasi on the ball is is incredible. Um, but they were so congested in this game, like Busanello, whenever he was crossing it, he didn't have much time, and he couldn't aim for anyone because it was so it was such a cramped position. I've got to say personally, I was a little bit disappointed in Isaac Kieser Tellin, who I, who might be a bit of a flat track bully, you know. Um, it felt like he's just his positioning was not good enough in this game. Um, you know, it's like when he, he was actually faced against someone different, a tougher sort of opponent. He, not, I don't say he couldn't be asked, but he was just frustrated that his normal game plan didn't work. And again, I just think sometimes you can get sucked, can't you? You beat you, you, they've been winning games so easily that it becomes almost a presumption that a team like Mialbi, in Pontus Jansen's words, are just going to be there for the taking. So, it, Big wake-up call um, for them coming up soon, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they respond, Jonathan. Yeah, massively. And I think we also have to give a bit of an honourable mention to um, to David Lofkvist as well. I think he was really, really good on the day. I mean, you talk about Keith telling there, but Lofkvist led the line sensationally. He got a goal and an assist. Um, not only did he take his header really well, but he, he put in a beautiful cross for for Fenger's goal as well. So he showed he could do a bit of both. Um, so. Yeah, really, a really good all-round uh, all-round game for for them. And I think watch the space with Malmo because obviously they're missing Cornelius at, at centre back. You know, maybe Cornelius and and Janssen might be the centre back pairing going forward. Maybe maybe they'll look to try and move things around a bit. But um, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot to think about for Riesstrom now. And with Elfborg taking the lead in in the title race, it's going to be interesting to see. They don't look like they don't really look like a team that's going to drop a huge amount of points the way it's looking at the moment. So. Um, Malmo looks like we all expected kind of Malmo to walk, walk the title didn't we at one point it looks like they still probably are my favourites but it looks like now they, they are going to have maybe a bit of a battle and we're not even including Hacken in that yet 
Yeah, I'm, I was actually I'm actually going to pull rank here a little bit and um, stray from the suggested uh, schedule because uh, Hecken, you're right, they're in third place, and um, there's a few things to say about them this week, isn't there? Because they've obviously had a good win against Icor. Um, they'll be very happy Malmo loss, and they're in the Champions League as well, first ever time against uh, TNS. They're involved in the transfer market, and we've also got a bonus Patreon content to talk about regarding uh, Hecken. Um, let's let's talk about them. I mean, they're involved. They're the only team actually involved from our Svenskan and, and Elite Serien in Europe this week against the New Saints. We briefly mentioned it, didn't we, on the last show? Um, yeah, this is obviously big for them. Is there any expectation that they can go on a deep run in this Champions League qualifying? Uh, would a good result ultimately be if they could qualify for the Conference League group stage? A uh, good result would be Champions League group stages. Malmo did it a few years ago. Why not? Um, Hacken's team is as good as anyone's over the last sort of three, four years. They're arguably the best champions we've seen for a while. Um, maybe they're not as, maybe they're a bit more naive than maybe Thomason's Malmo. But if you get a luck on the draw, who knows? It's going to be an intriguing one. The game's actually going to be broadcast on British TV. Uh, I think it's on Sigoria or C4S or whatever it's called. So you will be able to, listeners will be able to tune into that in the UK, um, potentially watch the game. I, I certainly will have a look and see if I can grab hold of that. Is um, that that Welsh channel? Yeah, I think it's S4C or something like that, which you, I think it is free to air in, in the UK. I watched Croatia Wales on that. Yeah, so. I think you can also get it on YouTube uh, or Facebook, something for free. Mm. So, um, you know, definitely worth tuning in. Um, yeah, how can done fantastically well to beat AK away, I think, from 1-0 down. It was a sort of game where you, once they went 1-0 down, I thought this is going to, you know, after the draw with North Shopping, I thought they were under, they're going to be under ropes here. Um, Henningberg's first game, the fans were sort of up for it a little bit more. Uh, debut goal for um, their their new signing, Ty Chosen, um, from Michelin, I think it is, or from Denmark anyway. He, he, he looked decent, a decent strike. And you thought to yourself, with a weakened hacking team, it's to be a signer back in the team, for the first time in a year, obviously since his long injury, um, no Benny Traore, of course, the man who uh, we've we've done a Patreon blog on. He unfortunately had a, a family bereavement apparently, and um, had to fly back home. We've got a Patreon on him this week. Player analysis, obviously linked with Celtic, linked with Rangers. Has he played his last game for Hacken? We're not sure yet, um, but he was missing. So they played Sadiq up front, um, and it was a bit of a weaker forward line, as I say. Uh, Udenas started as well, but they came back well. Uh, Sadiq got a goal. He gave a little bit to Milosevic when he scored. He was sort of yeah going like this too when he ran off and celebrated. They had a bit of a, I think there was a bit of a um, bit of verbals going on in the AIK and um, hack and forward line, which I always enjoy. Um, and and then of course, obviously, uh, sorry, he scored the winner, but Regard obviously equalised as well. So they, they did brilliantly to come back. Um, they're going to have to balance Champions League for the first time, of course. Uh, see how that goes. Is that going to affect team selection? Do they have the squad to deal with it? We are hearing reports, Steve, very keen to hear your opinion on um, Layuni. Obviously, he's um, moved to, to Hacken now. It's almost official. I think it's been made official this evening, actually. Um, so, clearly, if Troyeri does leave, that they're looking at their forward options. It was very interesting to me, Steve, that when um, when I think it was Sadiq or one of the forwards went off, they brought they didn't bring on Ola Kamara. It looks like he's been a total flop. Um, they brought on Trusevsky, who's like a youth team player, I believe. And... Um, Kamara just looks like out on the odds. It doesn't look like he's really going to be there much longer. Looks like he's totally out on, totally out of the um, picture. 
So they do need another forward, I think, if they're going to compete for the title, and especially if Troy leaves, they're in big trouble, really, in the forward areas. So, um, yeah, really good win, but I think there are going to be issues juggling juggling both both things. But listen, Steve, on their day, Hacken is still a class. That midfield is up there with the best we've seen in our offense game for a while. You know, the two Gustafsons and and Rigard, none of them should really be in our offense game. They're all they're all well above our offense game level. So I, I would argue that they. As long as they can get a decent draw, they should be okay. But we saw them play Aberdeen, didn't we, yeah, not too long ago, and struggle there, didn't they, in that one? But that was a, a very different hack inside. So let's see how it goes. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, and I'm sure the fans are going to be buzzing to, to to hear that Champions League anthem. Yeah, I think they are a big... Uh, I think they're a lot different um, now com- compared to when they faced that Aberdeen team. And that Aberdeen team went on to have a terrible season, by the way. I always remember, I was like, how the hell did they beat Hecken? Um, in, in Europe that year. It, just, it was really weird how that happened. But um, yeah, Hecken, you're right. We've done that Patreon piece on Benny Troyore, um, NFP player analysis for 2023. We did some of them pieces last year. I can reveal that there is another one going to be released to the patrons this week on an elititarian striker. Is there anyone you want us to cover? Uh, send your requests in and we will do these uh, analytical pieces uh, for the Patreon. So send us any suggestions if you want. Uh, I'm all like uni. In, do you know what? I don't actually think he's that good. Um, he's he's all right. He's decent. Very much an inside forward on the left-hand side, massively right-footed. Um, you know, he's got a bit of flair. He's got a bit of skill about him. But sometimes he's a bit what I call a hot air player where his end product product isn't there, you know, um, and he's frustrating to watch. Doesn't always finish his chances that well, but look, he did have a loan spell out in Australia. I can't remember what club he was at, but he fell out with Doug Ally for Goma Volarenga. And, you know, that spell in, in Australia might've done him some good, you know, it's a very high scoring league down there. And I'm sure he managed to flex his attacking muscles and he's probably padded up his stats decently. Um, he's not a bad squad player to have around, I must say. He gives good depth. Um, you know, he can start or, or make an impact off the bench, but, you know, he's certainly not a striker. He's uh, he's a, he's a very much a wide player who cuts inside. Yeah, good stuff. And I think he's going to be eligible for, for European football as well. He's 30 years old, uh, looks like a three-year contract. And uh, the club have said that he's an experienced player with a great offensive record and a good physique. He can play in several positions, but he starts mainly, as you've mentioned, there, left or from the right wing. Uh, he's been around the block, hasn't he? He's played in Egypt. He's played in Australia. Uh, he's also played for Glimps, Degafors, Braga. So he's been around. Pyramids, wasn't it? Pyramids yeah. was his team in Egypt. Yeah, 24 yeah. goals, 26 assists in 99 games in Elite Serien. So, you know, not a bad record, but uh, let, let's see how it does. Because one thing's for sure, I think I can do need some reinforcements um, in forward areas, especially yeah. if any try release. And as he just mentioned there correctly, Steve, if you do have any suggestions you want to see on our Patreon, a player analysis, uh, don't forget to tweet us at NordicFootPod or um, on the on the YouTube channel. Um, leave a comment. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get on it. But stay tuned this week because uh, we've got a juicy one from Steve that we're going to be doing and putting out there on the Patreon as well. So um, we'll have another player analysis for you in the next few days. And this is now a very juicy looking title battle. I must say I'm very excited when I look at the top end of the elite of the Asvenskin table. I honestly it looked like a Malmo shoeing to me after seven or eight games. But now we've got a got a what well, may well be a genuine three horse race. You know, it, it's really exciting times, I must say. So um excellent stuff. 
uh, as we head towards the halfway stage of the season in Sweden. Uh, down the bottom of the table, incredibly, uh, both EF Court, Göteborg, and IE Court are in the relegation zone. Uh, Degafors with um, a really important win for them away against Bromma Poikin and moves them to 14 points. IE Court on 10. EF Core and Varberg are now on eight points each after uh, a basement battle win for Varberg. 2-1 on Monday night. I've watched this game. You, I don't know how much you've seen of it, Jonathan, but um, I was absolutely appalled by EF Core in, in this fixture. Totally deserved win for Varberg, their first win of the season. Are they are they even got a manager? I think they might be managerless still. Um, but they've got the massive three points and a, a terrible, terrible result for EF Core. Yeah, I saw you um, close to tears on, on Twitter earlier. So um, not a good day for, for you. And we actually had we have had some listener questions that I don't know if you're on them, but um, we did have a, a listener comment from, I think it's Football Weekender, was Football it? Football Weekender, yeah. yeah. He says, um, yeah, at Football Weekender, he, he asked, uh, what's, <laughs> are, are Blavitt going down? How does their number one fan feel about their prospects of survival? Uh, we also had who will take the blame when EFC go down. That was Nicholas Nielsen Bean. Um, yeah, keep on the listener questions, Steve. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, one player in particular. I want to I want to give him a quick mention. It's been all over our timeline this evening. But um, yeah, I didn't actually see this game. I was watching North Shopping Hampstead. Um, big win for Hampstead, by the way. Uh, late win there. Um, North Shopping went down to ten men. Two teams we haven't really spoken about a huge amount lately. But um, yeah, shocking from shocking from EFC, and as you mentioned there, I mean, you've famously tweeted tonight that you think they'll be relegated. Um, and it, it's Farber. The key point to mention is it's Farber boys' first win of the season, so they had to break the duck at some point, and they've done it away from home against them, their closest rival at the bottom of the league. And it's actually a massive win in the relegation battle, Steve. Because when you tweet, you actually texted me saying, "I think EFC go down." And I kind of dismissed it in my mind. I was like, "They're not going to go down." Like you're just being an overreactive fan. Well, I'm looking at the table now, and they're level on points with Varberg. They're two points behind Oi Court, who you'd imagine with a new manager. Surely they're going to improve slightly. The next team above them is, is Degaforce. The six points behind Degaforce and Sirius. Um, who exactly is are they going to catch? Uh, maybe Sirius, maybe Degaforce, but if they're losing to Varberg, who are below them, I mean, they're down level on points for them, but Steve. Maybe they could actually could they actually be relegated? I yeah. mean, you watched the game. Yeah, I, this game was one that I fully expected EF Core Göteborg to win comfortably. To be honest, I've seen a fair bit of Deg- uh, Varberg this season, and you know, I mean, no offense here, that they're not a very good footballing team. They're just not. They're a physical unit. They don't play much football, and you know, I'd be very surprised if Varberg stay up. Um, EF Core should be beating these sort of teams definitely at home and fairly easily. But apart from the first five minutes where they started well, I think Varberg dominated the game. They legitimately outplayed them. Um, wasn't even close. Um, I think EF Core, they hadn't had a shot on target by the 80th minute, which is absolutely diabolical. Um I think Varberg showed more fight. I think Varberg showed more, a better tactical game plan. But we're, even more worryingly, I actually think Varberg boys showed m- far more quality on the ball. EF Core just didn't have any ball technicians who were playing very well in this game. 
it was a massive concern how I just looked, you, just, you know, sometimes you look at a team in, in whatever league you, you're watching and you just really, really, really worry for them. And I, I watched that tonight and I'm thinking that team's going to go down because they they couldn't handle the pressure of the crowd. Uh, th- 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 those players don't deserve the fans. That, and the fans were behind them for most of the game still. They, they went, they booed them off, but, you know, that the crowd are really behind them. And I think it's adding too much pressure to the players. But then they fell behind and I'm thinking, you know what, maybe the shackles will come off now. They don't, you know, the pressure's off a little bit. They have to attack. But it didn't get any better. Barberg were by far the better team. And if you're getting outplayed by them at home, I think they've got major problems. I I think the only way out, Jonathan, is four or five players coming in. Because that 11 out there today, that's not good enough. I mean, Marcus Berg looks done. He came off at half time. He was hardly in the game. Um, there's so much, much other stuff I could say here, but I, I, I will refrain. But that team, I, I'm being serious here, and I'm not being an overreactive fan. I am going to be looking out for the odds, whoever posts them up, EF Cole Yotterborg to go down. And if they're not odds on to go down, I'll be backing them to be re- to be relegated because they should be... I, I really... I just don't see how two teams finish below EF Core Yotterborg right now. <laughs> I just don't that like that was an absolute shambles. The funny thing is, it's like you you're you're sort of licking your lips at the prospect of the odds on them going down. Well, whilst you got tears in your eyes, it's like you don't know whether to you don't know whether I to rub your belly or cry. This year, I could see it coming with my own team, Leeds United, this year, and everyone was saying, "Oh, you'll be all right, you'll be all right." I could see it coming. I can see it coming now. I mean, there are 16 games left, and they can still buy players, but that. Oh, I, I, well, we haven't even I, talked about, I mean, we haven't actually spoken about their new manager, Jens Bertolaski, by the way. Congratulations, um, guest on the former guest on the pod. You know, we interviewed him when he was in the Faroe Islands. He's now in charge of one of the biggest teams in Sweden. But unfortunately for him, his record so far is, is not great. Um, he's had, obviously, um, the, the winter break, the summer break, sorry, to work on them. He joined um, for the serious game, the serious game in June. That ended with uh, the fans confronting um, the, the chairman and, and uh, Hakan Mild and, and, and the players. This game as well has ended with them confronting the players. Actually, Steve, it got quite ugly. Well, not ugly, but after the game, um, the set of fans waited outside the stadium for of course players, and they had a meeting. According to Hakan Mild, it was it was a constructive meeting. Apparently, there were three official of course spokes spokespeople on behalf of the fans um, who spoke calmly, but according, you know. It, they, they 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 did not mince their words obviously and they, they wanted to have frank talks uh matt mill said that obviously these fans they, they support us all the time and they, we do owe them something um so we, you know good luck to jens obviously there former guest on the podcast he's, he's obviously done well for himself hasn't he going from Faroe islands to denmark to, to ef core um and we've been on his journey since day one so that was a good good spot for us in terms of a management but but yeah he's um he's not won a game yet obviously one draw two defeats but it's still early days you mentioned the signings they, they have they have signed quite a few players already, Steve. They, uh, you know, Tom, Thomas Santos made his debut tonight. Um, he he signed from Horsens, which is Jens Bertalaski's former club. So obviously he clearly knows him. But five goals in 66 games for for, for Horsens. Um, they also brought in um, a couple of other players. Arben McCauley, he came on half time, I think, for Berg, a 23 year old Albanian forward. Um, he's come from Vejle in in Denmark. I don't know how to pronounce that, but football in DK. Probably do a better job pronouncing it, but they, they are active in the market, Steve. Um, one player I want to talk about though is Pontus Darberg. I think 
I tweeted something earlier about him, Paolo for that first goal, and uh, we've had a lot of... <laughs> I tweeted something about his move to Watford, obviously, for £4 million, a goalkeeper. And, um, I mean, Steve, it wasn't a great goal, was it, to concede um, that first goal? You're, you're a goalkeeper, but the reaction we've seen from from um, Chillingham fans in particular, who who obviously watched him on loan, several loan spells... Um, doesn't not too positive on on Pontus Darby. Well, I, you know, I'm actually going to defend him because he made two or three really good saves in this game, especially one in the first half, which was a brilliant reaction stop. He kept he kept he kept it at one nil for quite some time. Unfortunately, the goal is probably on him. Um, you know, it's, you can't palm it away like that. You've got to do better handling, which is a shame. But he actually, if you look at the game overall. You know, that just shows you how bad it could have been for Eko. Barber could have scored three or four goals here, Jonathan. But it has been a real... Um, what's the word? With his career, it's a shame because obviously he was a massive talent and, um, you know, he got that great move to Watford. I think you know, I remember you questioned him at the time whether was it the right moment for him to, to leave Sweden, certainly to that sort of club. And did he, do you think he left? he left the country too early? It's a good question, and it's a fact that you. Um, it's good that you're defending him. I think that I think that's good. I think uh, that I, I'm I'm actually quite surprised at the amount of abuse he's got from Gillingham fans. I mean, we've had <clears throat> we've had one person describe him as one of the worst goalkeepers he's ever seen at Gillingham. Um, he said he had holes. That Lee Ludlow three says he had holes in his hands. Um, yeah, quite. There's actually quite a few quite negative comments from Gillingham fans, which I'm a little bit surprised about. To be fair, because I've always really rated him, um, and um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really expect it. Uh, Craig Hewing Everett says he's called the mermaid worst keeper to ever play in a Jill shirt. These sort of comments, I think, are a bit surprising. I mean, just to give a bit of background on Pontus Darberg, it's good that you said that he made some good saves in this match. He he was massively rated when I was in Gothenburg. Um, kept coming through as a goalkeeper. He was being watched by tons of teams in Europe. Quite a few of them obviously turned him down, but Watford came in and paid four million. But this is this is a wider debate that I just want to quickly pick up on before we move to part two. I mean, it's, it's something that fascinates me. Player development. Did he leave Ospenskan too early? I mean, he did. He was around for quite a while, to be fair to him. It wasn't like a sort of Benjamin Negan situation, you know, where he plays 10 games and leaves. He was around for quite a while, but what was the value of moving to Watford Steve from his career point of view, right? You play, imagine you're playing in front of EF Core fans, 18,000 fans a week, every week. Uh, you're you're a son of the of Gothenburg, you know what I mean? Like you're playing for your one year, you're playing for a team you've grown up playing for, and then you get signed by Watford and you just go and play. You put, go and play under 23s football, and next thing you know, Steve, I mean, I couldn't believe it once when I saw him in goal for Doncaster Rovers. You know, you know what I mean? Next thing you know, you're playing in like League One. Um, he's had loans at Gillingham. He's he's been all over the place. I mean, he's had even went had loan at Hacken. I mean, that is there anyone who implement seriously, Steve? Is there anyone who sums up? The rise of fall of Gothenburg football than more than Pontus Darby. He went to Hacken as sort of like a favour, and he's come back and they're champions and they're and he of course could be relegated. Like it's a massive. He, he almost sums up this, the turnaround in fortunes between the two teams, you know. Um, and it was considered a quite a controversial thing when he moved on loan to Hacken from a from an EF Core point of view. But you could argue now he's he actually went to the bigger team and came back to the smaller team. Like the, you know, um, there's been a massive turnaround in Gothenburg football, and. I just wonder from a player development point, Steve, you know, I want to get your opinion on this. Like, from my point of view, has it actually benefited his career going to Watford for that £4 million? Because obviously he's made, he of course, a lot of money, but he's right back where he started. 
He's now obviously older and um, he's kind of been passed around the EFL. Did Doncaster, Gillingham, he's had loans at different places, never really made many games, played many games for Watford, if any. I don't think he ever played a first team game for Watford in the Premier League. Um, has that actually hindered his career? And, and you know, what's the long term effects of that? The other interesting point there, Steve, is I thought Warner Hahn was a really good goalkeeper last year. And, and the treatment of him, he, of course, just basically almost let him go for, for no reason. They brought back Darberg during the season when Warner Hahn was actually playing quite well and, and looked like a really good signing from, from the Netherlands. Um, he was really disappointed at the way it was handled, his exit. And you could almost argue, was he was Darberg an upgrade on, on Warner Hahn? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, Steve, it's a club that you have grown to like. Uh, it's quite similar to Leeds, another relegation battle with a big support. So it seems like you do, you do know how to pick a, a football team. Um, what's your take on that situation? Because obviously, like you said, he made some good saves and sometimes it's just a headline. But from, from my point of view, I just wondered, did he... It is half a players because if a club accepts a bid for you, at the end of the day, there's an there's a there's a there's an expectation that you leave. You know, if you're comfortable at your hometown club, a lot of the time you're going to be pressured to leave. It's not you, you almost don't have a choice really. They're going to say, "Listen, we're accepting four million. You have to leave." They're not they're not going to say if you want to stay, stay. Um, you know, finances at the end of the day dictate a lot of football, and I think sometimes players don't really have much of a choice, which is a shame really because you know, look at Tonali at the moment in Newcastle. Um, from AC Milan, he's like a Milan, apparently according to all reports, like he's a Milan fan through and through, never wants to leave Milan. And according to the reports I've read, it's sort of like a the club of kind of just taking the money on someone who's probably like Milan born and bred and wants to stay there for his whole career. You, we don't really live in a financial era, do we, in football now, Steve, of like, we want to keep our hometown players. Look at Mason Mount, for example, as another example. Like it, it feels like this, 20 years ago when we had like the PLOs and the the Maldinis and, and players like that. It doesn't happen anymore, really, does it, Steve? But often that's from the club point of view, more so than the player. Um, but did this actually benefit his career, Pontus Dalberg? And what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Because from my point of view, going to a big Premier League team, great. You know, Watford at the time were, were in the Premier League. But if you're never going to play a game for them and you're going to be loaned out to sort of Gillingham, with all due respect, with all due respect to Gillingham, this was an international player. At the, you know, he, he was someone who's considered going to play for Sweden it's almost damaged his reputation to the point where he seems like he's struggling to ever get his career back on track, if that makes sense. If, if even Gillingham fans are sort of ridiculing him. Yeah. It's, I think you got a lot depends on the club that you end up at. And I think he's been a bit unlucky there. Perhaps he was forced onto Watford, but Watford, can you, can you think of any players that go to Watford and come out better? <laughs> They've been, no, seriously, I'm, like they're. I think they're a mess of a club. I think they're the way that they get run. Um, you know, both on and off the pitch, I think it's a bit of a mess. And I'll answer uh, it. I'll say Richarlison just to balance it out because I did. I shouldn't have laughed really. That's that was a bit unfair at Watford. But um, but I'm but, not. I. I but the thing is, you're right. Just before you go on, you are right because I remember when you left, Steve. Watford had about five goalkeepers at the time. He wasn't even close to being number two, let alone num- let alone number one. Um, they had a lot of goalkeepers in their books at that point. I remember it because I was thinking, how is he even going to get on the bench, let alone in the first team? So he, I think it's a fairly valid point, although I shouldn't. No disrespect to Watford fans, I'm not laughing at the club. It was just your phrasing was quite quite comical. I, I think if you're a goalkeeper, you've got to have assertive guarantees of playing time. And if you're not the number one, then you know where you're going to be going, perhaps on a set loan already, or you know you're going to play cup games. We, there's another goalkeeping comparison we can actually use. 
Now it's Isaac Peterson who went to Toulouse. And, you know, that didn't work out for him. But the difference is I don't think his actual game has been affected too negatively because the surroundings at the, the Toulouse Football Club are a lot better. Good coaching, much were better run. And, you know, it just happened to be, you know, that he was, um, you know, his second best at that club. He had a very good goalkeeper, Maxime Dupay, at that point. Um, but you've got to, I think you've got to be really careful as a keeper. Um, you know, there's no doubt he would have been well paid. Let's not forget about that. You can't turn turn down life-changing money. Um, but does that sometimes make you less hungry? Do you lose a little bit of drive, a little bit of motivation? You know, you've kind of reached the, not the top, but you've reached a really good financial part of your career. Sometimes you lose that hunger and now he's got to rebuild himself again. And that, you know, a lot of sport, a lot of life is is in is in the head. And that could be where he's struggling a bit. And it's a shame to see. Um, and now every single mistake that he makes is going to be highlighted because he's under pressure from, from what's happened in the last few years. Yeah, it's a f- fascinating debate. I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, tweet us if you do listen to this. Um, let us know your thoughts on those sort of moves. Does it benefit the player? Um, you mentioned their life-changing money and stuff like that. It's, it's true at the end of the day. I mean, Jens Vertlaski came out after the game and said we made too many errors. Um, in the final third, we need to be more sharp. Um, obviously, he's brought in a few youth players. Lucas Carhead, I think he's looked quite lively. I quite like Linus Karlstrand as well, but you're right. Um, the, the only thing I noticed in the second half of this game, because I, I did tune in for a bit of the second half, I thought Varberg looked a lot bit more organised than I've ever seen before. Um, so I think that is interesting to look at going forward, like with the loss of their manager. And obviously at the moment they're looking for a new manager. That I'm, I'm curious to see how they sort of develop from here. Is that going to maybe uh, turn their season around? Um, but but before, before we wrap up, yeah, I mean, just looking at his loans, Steve, I mean, he joined Watford in 2018 uh, for 3.9 million euros. He, he then was loaned out to the Dutch league, FC Emmen. I think that's the second tier. Then he was loaned to Hacken. Then he was loaned to... Um, Doncaster, as I say, then he was loaned to Gillingham. Uh, and then eventually, um, EF Corps signed him on an undisclosed transfer last summer. So, you know, he's now, he's still a young goalkeeper, to be fair. He's still only 24. That's very young for, for a goalkeeper. But um, as I say, I thought Juan Hahn was, was doing a really good job at EF Corps last season. I thought, I thought he was, a, I thought he was one of the best keepers in the league, actually, last season, um, personally. Um, but yeah, it seems, I mean, we did have a comment from one um, listener who said, when I, sorry, someone on Twitter, when I did ask that same question, he did say that um, it's uh, it's in line with the decision-making of the club. He said the decision isn't odd. It's perfectly in line with all the other wrong decisions the club has made. And as you know, Steve, I was in Gothenburg a couple of months ago. Uh, very much enjoyed it. And I, there's some very good people at that, at that football club. There's no doubt about that. But they are they are in, in a bit of trouble at the moment because, as I said before, they're starting to get a little bit adrift. So they've got a massive job in their hands. Let's see where they go in the window. But for now, Steve, don't don't worry too much. Let's let's see how it goes. Nearly the whole I, I do actually just want to give a shout out to, to Varberg in this game. They did they deserve the win. They played very well, especially Dion Krasniki up front, got the two goals for them. He was um very much on hand for the poachers finish um for the first goal. And then it was a good finish for the second. Um I don't really know an awful lot about him. He has scored one other goal this season, but perhaps position. He looked positionally. Um, he was getting into some really good spots, so I don't know whether that's something new, a new directive there, Varberg. Um, you know, there's no doubt. Before tonight, they they have been an absolute shambles this season as well. They have, and they would admit it. Um, but maybe for them, that's a, a turning 
point and they can kick on. But um, there's absolutely EF Core Yotteborg, uh, they're in they're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. I think that'll be it for part one. We've had a bumper of sort of um, discussion here in the Fence Gang, but it was long overdue. There's quite a few big talking points this week, so I hope you bear with us. Um, and also, thanks to the listener questions, FPL Park Life uh, Marty, at Martino657, who did ask us about like uni, forgot to, forgot to give him a shout out, but um, hopefully we answered your question there. In part two, we're going to talk about a few things. I mean, we've got another big team who could be relegated. Um, we're also going to sort of talk about a few surprise packages in Norway. So, um, stay tuned for part two, and um, we'll be back after this short break. Welcome to part two of this week's episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. My name is Jonathan Badu. I'm joined by Steve Wiss as ever quite a long part one but it was very necessary to have a deep dive we do like a deep dive every now and then on this podcast i hope you enjoy them too we'll be sort of getting to the meat and bones of some teams um whilst we try and obviously balance the length of the show hopefully you know if you listen to both sections maybe you can break it up if you prefer one um country to the other hopefully we give you full value for both but we're always looking looking for your feedback so if you if you want to tweet us at nordic for pod or leave a comment on youtube we always love to hear from you and just hear your thoughts on some of the topics we discuss and and the, the depth of the conversations that we have. Um, one good thing about Twitter, obviously, and Steve, I noticed on YouTube, we passed 500 subscribers. So congratulations on that. Thank you to everyone who subscribed on YouTube. But one thing on Twitter that's good about it is we do get a lot of listener questions. And that's where we're going to start with Norway. Um, we've got a question from Sponshi at Sponshi underscore, who says, and this is where we're going to start Norway. Our God set now a dark horse for a middle place. Um, and that is Strom's God set now. Um, the reason for asking that, obviously, they are currently sat in seventh place, but having a pretty decent season, Steve. Um, let's just recap what's been going on and uh, give us your thoughts on that first question. The answer to the question is yes. Yes, I think they are a dark horse for a medal position. Uh, I've said many times that I, I now believe that Budiglum will win the league. I think Mulder will finish second. But I've mentioned a few times that the, I think the bronze medal spot is up for grabs. I think there's quite a few teams that could finish third this year. And I think God set, there's no reason why they can't believe to be one of those potentially in the mixer as well. They've suddenly found some form in terms of results. Um, we knew they were going to have a massive tactical transitional change heading into this season. And I think... Finally, uh, the players are getting used to that now with their new manager and four wins in a row. They are definitely trending very much upwards. What do you put What do you put that down to? What, what's what's going on at this club? Why are you so optimistic on them? Because obviously, you know, just on face value, they are seventh. Um, they have had a good sort of uh, few weeks, as you mentioned there. I mean, I, I just, I'll just read out some of the um, scores before you answer that question. From the weekend just gone, obviously, we've got Hamcam 2, Arlison 1, Viking 2, Haugesund 0, Odd 0, Budiglim 2, Rosenborg 1, Lillestrom 2, which was a big talking point, uh, part of the 1-2 gang of uh, joining Osvenskan um, results. Sandefjord 0, Starbeck 0, Stromskotset 5, Salzburg 2, uh, Tromso 0, Wallerenga 0, and Mold 2, Brand 0. I mean, that five goals for Stromskotset, Steve, probably really plays a part in the question, but 
what is it about this team? Who are the key men? What, what gives you that feeling of confidence that they can actually climb the table? Well, the manager they brought in is Jurgen Isnes, who I think I talked about him quite a bit in the preseason show. And um, intriguing fella. Um, I would like to talk football with him one day. I must say, be I think he'd be a very interesting guy. And um, you know, he's coming here, and the culture at Godset has always been really four-three-three for several years. He's had to make this. You know, he's coming in with his three-four-three system, which is like sometimes three-four-one-two. Um, and I think when you make such a huge change, it can take quite a long time. Like I'm talking several months here if you go back to pre-season. And I think the first few rounds of the season, they weren't bad. It's just you could tell the players were not really still used to playing in, in the way that he wanted them to play. Uh, but we've gradually seen some signs. Um, you know, the, the, their first two wins were both to nil, which was very encouraging. Um, they had a good performance against Haugesund, Um in, I think it was match day number about 10 maybe nine or 10. Uh, they lost the game, but they absolutely battered them. Um, I looked at the metrics for that match and I'm thinking, you know, if they keep that up, that they're going to really improve. And then the next three matches have been wins to nil. And they've beaten Godset to nil. They beat Buda Glimt 2-0. I mean, that's an eye-catching result. Went to Starbeck and won 1-0. And then the 5-2 against Sarpsborg. They've shown, I, I really like how um, he's got this pre a pressing system going. But it's not gung-ho pressing. It's really targeted pressing in certain areas of the field at the right time. Um, they really harass. Clearly, they target certain opponents who they think is going to give the ball away. Um, and it's, it's quite intriguing. It's the Starbeck game especially. I watched all of that. And um, they were just always it felt in control. You can tell this Isnes is a bit of a, bit of a mastermind. He's a bit, he thinks outside the box. It's not conventional, you know. Um, it's definitely something a lot different. So, um, yeah, three good wins in a row to nil. And then they played against Sarpsborg. And, and this is the difference between Bill Bourne and, uh, and Isnes. I think, really, Bill Bourne's a bit of a... You, you've seen him, his sort of teams before. It can go crazy end-to-end. -end. I mean, they won 6-1 last week, Sarpsborg, and then they go and lose 5-2. It's because he only plays one way, one way only. When you look at Strom's Godset, they're capable of adapting, definitely. Um, different pounds of football. So I think you are now looking at one of the best tactically run teams in the league. I think they can be uh, a clear, they can be really good as an underdog and they can be really good as a favourite and they can play against possession teams. They can play against, against counter teams. And that's why I think they're a dark horse to finish in the top four or five now. Tell us about uh, Jonathan Brout Bruins. Uh, three goals in his last uh, three games. He got two at the weekend. And there's a very interesting link here with a certain uh, a certain Mr. Erling Haaland, isn't there, Steve? I think he's his cousin. I, I'm I'm terrible with these family trees out there in Norway because, uh, you know, since Haaland burst onto the scene, it feels like there's been like 10 cousins that people have mentioned. Trying to, like, he's the next Erling Brat Haaland because he's his cousin. But he is legitimately one of his cousins. And I, yeah. I like Brat Prunes. I think he's a really good number nine, actually. He's got a poacher's instinct. Um he oppresses really well. He's, he's really got into this um, system of pressing at Godset under the new manager. Again, targeted at certain periods of the game. Um, perfect player for, for this system, uh, really, that he's put in. And 
I think it's a matter. It was only a matter of time before the goals came for him. Really, he's missed a few chances at times, but everyone does up front. And you know, he's got his reward. He keeps going. Um, they were two 0 up in next. Sorry, two one up very very quickly in this game. It was a wild start. Three two after twenty three minutes. It be Sarpsborg love to suck teams into a shootout. They, and and Godset happily obliged. Um, you know, three two, and then the second half, Godset got a couple of more goals. But I was I've been impressed with. Jonathan Brat Bruins. I think if you look at his metrics, he does get into some great positions. You know, he hasn't always been clinical, but I think by the end of this year, he how many goals he got at five or six? I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with about 15. I really don't. Um, yeah, five league goals now. He could get between 12 to 15, I think, if he uh, keeps up this. Yeah, and they've got some, you know, sort of fairly uh, sort of tricky fixtures coming up. Um, the next game is away to Bran, and we're going to move on to Bran actually because you you've got a, a bit of a talking point about them. Um, they, they lost obviously the weekend, just gone to mould. Steve, so you've you've got some opinions. You've got some hashtag opinions on this one. Well, it was, yeah, it's Molder two Bran nil, and this could have been five or six to Molder first half especially. Eric um, Horneland described Bran's performance in the first half as like an Obos Ligain team. He was very, very critical, very harsh on his players. But he wasn't wrong. It was men against the boys. I thought Mulder absolutely obliterated them in that first half. I, I've no idea how it was only one goal. Um, <laughs> probably because Mulder didn't have actually ha- uh, have a striker on the field. Or they were either injured or on the bench. So maybe Bram were lucky there that they, they just didn't finish very well. But um, I think it was a worrying performance. From them, and there's been a few recently from Bran. I think they just look like they're maybe running out of steam a bit to me. Um, they lack squad depth um, away from home. Their their record isn't particularly good. They've been brilliant at home, and which is great. But um, I always said to this season, I think we we I don't think we can expect miracles from Bran. You know, people saying they're going to be challenging for the title, challenging for medals. They still may well get a medal. And they've won the Norwegian Cup. They're going to be in Europe. What a, it's been a brilliant campaign. But let's just not forget who they just played. They're Mulder are one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, you describe them playing as like an Obos team. Well, they were an Obos team last year. It can happen. They've been promoted. You're allowed some some poorer performances. So I, I don't know what I'm being here. I, I guess I'm being a little bit critical, but at the same time, I don't want to be harsh on them because they've had a great year. And I just think they've always been tainted by this really high expectations, like put them on by the media, by general football supporters in, in Norway, maybe even by their own fans. Um, and it, in a way, it didn't surprise me that something like this would happen because it was 2-0, but it could have been like, say, 5 or 6. Yeah, and I guess the, the main talking point really is, you know, you just mentioned there a little bit, but just to elaborate on this point, are, are Brand running out of steam? I mean, you you've you did kind of call this in early season. I remember you sort of um, weren't you you weren't one hundred percent on the Brand train. You you maybe had a couple of toes just outside the waters, didn't you? You weren't fully convinced by that hype. Um, do you feel sort of slightly vindicated now? And just elaborate your thoughts on that. Do you think they are starting to maybe just show a few signs of? Um, Slipping away slightly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they only just beat Ham Cam in their most recent home game. Um, you know, it was a laboured win. It just felt tired. Uh, you know, I think at the start of the season they would have won that one probably three or four. You know, so 
but the squad depth is is just not there. They've lost a couple of players. Uh, Wolf has been sold. Rasmussen's been sold. They haven't. Um, I think they did sign someone from the Obos this week. I'm not exactly. I can't remember who it is. But I mean, I'm just looking at their bench on uh, the weekend. I mean, for a start, it's only a six man bench. Nicholas Castro's on there, but apart from him and the goalkeeper, it's just youngsters. That's all it was. Um, you know, they've had to go with this youngster, Torsvik, at left back, who looks like a decent talent, but you know that, that's asking a lot for a young lad. Uh, I think he's 18 years old. Um, yeah, he is 18, and he just turned 18 as well. So, yeah, they, they need to reinforce the squad this window. Um, not necessarily improving the, the, the starting eleven. But they just they need a lot more bench options uh, because they they've not even had injuries yet either. So if they come, then there's going to be even more trouble. And there's no way a squad this small can be continually up there in the in the top three or four. It just can't. Um, so that's my gripe with them. I, I did fear this at the start of the season, um, but you, you would think as a club they will rectify it in 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 this uh, transfer window, especially now that they're in Europe. What's been going on with uh, Barisha, Stephen? He's not exactly at the heights this season. He's got, um, let me just pull up the stats. I think he, he actually did score in his most recent game, but he's got, that's his first goal of the season. Two assists as well in 518 minutes, Steve. A lot of fanfare. What, what's been going on with him for Mulder? I think his big problem in the last two or three years has been fitness. I don't think he's, he would, if you asked hand on heart, you asked him how many weeks have you genuinely, genuinely been fit for when you've been on the field, you know, fully fit. I think he, he honestly it wouldn't be many matches, and that's been a massive problem. He's always got some sort of niggle. Um, he doesn't seem settled after his left beaking um, at all. But that was a that goal might just lift him. It was a good finish. It was a typical sort of striker's finish, and I think he can probably kick on from that. Uh, does he suit this Molder system of? Of three five two, um, you know, when everyone's fit, he's in strong competition with the likes of Bryn Hilson, Wolf Ikram, um, you know, Christian Eriksen. They've been using Eric Kitalano recently as a, as a striker, um, who had a frustrating game, I must say. Um, I think he was a bit over eager. Um, he's not really had many minutes from his move after his move from Tromso, um, but at the same time, he's an absolute physical monster. So I get why he's in the team. He's got a great engine. Um, so Barisha, just what he needs to do is just nail down his place so he becomes like an indisputable starter, get the goals, knuckle down, stay injury-free, and he'll be fine. But there's just feeling of unsettlement about him. I, I, that's my sense anyway. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And, of course, you know, Mulder, um, as you say, they're, they're sort of they're well off the top, aren't they? They're, they're sort of 10, 12 points behind uh Buda Glimt, who you, who you said you think will go on and win the league there they're eight points clear uh Trump's have a game in hand but um it's looking looking quite good for Glimp Steve just briefly yeah I watched a little bit of that game against odd 2-0 win um it wasn't their best performance at all it was the sort of win that you know you, uh, champions sort of have quite a few of these wins um over a season just nothing glamorous solid get the job done um they were only really ever sort of in gear three absolute tops. Uh, Pellegrino bagged a goal. The first goal was a deflected one. Odd didn't play too badly, probably should have scored. Um, but just what they needed after a couple of dodgy weeks, a winter nil away from home, 
uh, where, you know, and there is more in the tank for them as well. Um, you know, they've had a tremendous first half of the season and uh, they they can certainly, I think they can play better than they have been doing in the recent weeks. So they just went off the boil a little bit. Maybe it'll come back again soon. Yeah, and just explain to the listeners, uh, in terms of the Champions League, there's no Norwegian teams in action this week, uh, as far as I'm aware, or as far as you've told me anyway. Just explain why Hakan are playing in Europe this week and, and Glimps aren't. Or Mulder aren't, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's be, and it's also the same with the Conference League qualifiers. It comes down to UEFA coefficient. And um, fundamentally, Hakan have not been in Europe much in, in recent times. And Mulder have. And Mulder reached group stages. Um, yeah, I'm just looking now at the... But the actual draw, Mulder will be playing the winner of match number five on the list, which is um, KI or Ferenc Varos. Uh, so, sorry, no, match number seven, uh, HJK Helsinki or Lahm is who Mulder will be facing in the next round. Hecken uh, just didn't have the coefficient numbers to enter in in, in, in the following round. Um, simple, like Galatasaray, and FC Copenhagen are entering in, in, in the next round of Champions Path, for example. So it's as simple as that. You, you, you know, Mulder have managed to build up coefficient points, the same in the Conference League qualifiers. Um, you know, Jurgarten and uh, Buda Glimt are obviously entering later than some other teams enter it. So it just, it just comes down to the UEFA system, basically, uh, Jonathan. Uh, but Mulder will be, you know, in action 25th, of July and then 2nd of August um, where, you know, that you would expect them to beat HJK or LAN, wouldn't you? So um, after that, probably someone much tougher. Yeah, good bit of trivia there because I, I didn't have a clue why there's no Norwegian team. So hopefully any listeners might be wondering. Uh, you've got your answer there from Mr. Meatman. I'm going to move on to quite a big talking point here, Steve. And uh, we've got a listener question from Fexionist Systems at PHXSYS. What do you think the chances are of Rosenborg actually going down to Obos R this year? Do they need to do a brand and go down and reset? Now, the, the background to that question, obviously, is um, they're 12th in the league. They've got 13 points from 14 games. They've lost half their matches this season. They've won three games out of 14. Um, and in the most recent game, I mean, that's ended in chaos. Just tell us, I mean, a bit more about how that game against Lillestrom ended. And then hopefully you can open up the discussion and answer that question. Yeah, um, Risenborg won Lillis from two. Uh, Risenborg took an early lead. It was a great finish, Oli Christian Saita, uh, with a brilliant hit. And then uh, they kept that lead for a long period in, in the game. Um, I think it was 83rd minute, maybe something like that. Anyway, it was a scuffed Accor Adams uh, finish. Now, in, in between that, there were loads of chances at both ends of the field. The finishing was diabolical. Um, you know, Adams, Len Olsen were all over the place. Rosenborg should have added to their advantage, but again, the finishing wasn't there. Uh, but one all heading into, I think, 89th minute, and then a VAR penalty, which looked fair, actually. I think VAR got this one right. Um, it was a silly challenge on, um, I can't even remember who did the foul now, but it was clearly, might have been Shelbred, um, just completely kicked down a Lillestrom player kind of needlessly. Um, 
Andre Hansen actually made a good save from the same move. So, you know, they may they could have even scored and they would have been play advantage. But uh, yeah, um, penalty was given. Akor Adams took it, and I had a feeling he was going to miss. I did. I didn't fancy him over this kick at all. They fannied around in the build-up with like who's going to take it, like. You know this thing about I think Liverpool started this, didn't they? Protecting the penalty takers, sort of bollocks. Um, it's all in the mind games now, isn't it? So Adam stepped up. It was a poor penalty. Andre Hansen saved it, but unluckily for the goalkeeper, it came straight back to Adams and he headed it into the net. So when he looks not in, your looks not in, is it? And then I think there was eight minutes of injury time. It was a bit wild, but there were no more goals. Um, and, and can you just remind me of that question again? What was the exact wording of that question? Do they need to do a brand, go down and reset? And are they going to go down to Obos? Yeah, you, I think it was like, what are the chances of them going down? I, I think maybe for the first time, I'm going to have to acknowledge that there's a risk of it. Um, I can't believe it will happen, but I suppose from a percentage perspective, there's maybe a 15%, 20% chance maybe. You know, you can't, these results can't continue. It's not it's not good enough. Um the one thing I will say about this league as opposed to say Sweden, where I core and EF EF core are in trouble. I do I do I see three do I see Rosenborg honestly? I think there's enough poorer teams that are just gonna be worse than them. You know what I mean? There's there's always gonna be two or three worse in a league serie, and so they could have a they could still have a really poor year but should still survive just simply because of the ineptitude of other sides around them. Um, and also, again, they are creating chances. But all three games that Swine Marlins took over, the chances are there, but they're not finishing them. The one goal they scored was a brilliant finish. The XG was probably about 0.05 or 0.1, but they're missing much bigger chances. So, sort that out and they, they will be all right, but it is a concern. Now, they sacked their manager and they've lost all three games. You expect it to be the way around, don't you? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's incredible that we could see AIK, Rosenborg and Yvko Jotterborg all in sort of even a conversation about relegation. But um, listen, you're never too big to go down. If you, if the football these days, we talked about at the top of the show, if you're not on your game, modern football is advanced now that teams aren't that bad anymore you know there's a lot of good teams with infrastructures that are punching sort of above their weight obviously brighton may be the blueprint in in england um and there's there's teams that are similar to that aren't they and you mentioned god set there you know we've looked at other teams in sweden are doing well and you, you can't take things for granted anymore in Roosevelt. it doesn't really look like they can take it for granted is it? because they are plummeting they are plummeting and They've got, as I say, they've got a, a set of fixtures coming up soon, which are massive for them. Uh, a home match against Trump, so God set away odd at home, and then Horgus and Hamcam and Arlesund. So I think the next five games, they're all they're all definitely winnable contests for for for, for RBK. Um, they've got to do something about it because I think that match there against this, I think they should have won the game. I do. I think there's enough. Chances to make it 2-0, and then when you don't get the second goal, I think the last probably 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that's maybe where they did lack a manager who's maybe a little bit more astute knowing the need to get a result. Uh, I like Marlon, I do, and I think he will... I still think he can do all right there, but when 
you need a win, you just find a way. Don't keep that clean sheet, okay? Drop a bit deeper. Tactically set yourself up where Lillestrom was still creating chances in that period. Too many chances for my liking. So I think that one, they let slip, you know? That, they, they need to get something out of that game. And, um, yeah, the pressure's on. Yeah, and thank you so much for that listener question. It's a great question, really, and incredible that we're even debating it. But, yeah, you know, as I say, you can... It is it. incredible that we are debating it. I, I, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, Rosenborg getting relegated would be the maddest thing I've ever ever known in, in my years of covering football anywhere, I think, in the world. It is genuinely like you've well, Juventus have been there a few times, but it's like Bayern Munich getting relegated, isn't it? Someone like that, maybe, yeah, yeah. without any like deductions or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, like, Real, Real Madrid. it's like Real Madrid getting relegated. Um, <laughs> incredible, but let's move on. Obviously, a good win for Hamcam, uh, which we just briefly mentioned there. Obviously, shout out to Tom Den. I saw a tweet, um, uh, where he put out there they've got a vital win there against Arlison. Um, and I think the tone of his message was stick with us, basically. So they're in a battle. Um, but in terms of the next talking point, Steve, before we wrap up the show, obviously the the resurgence of Viking has been an interesting one. Yeah, and um, yeah, I do want to say well done to Hamcam in that game. Um, they showed a lot of fight and belief. And um, yeah, it's, both teams actually showed plenty on there. It's interesting, Hamcam and Arlison, I'm not ruling them out at all from, from survival. I think there's there's something there. Um, for sure, maybe we can touch on that another week. But yeah, Viking are going well, almost under the radar a bit. You know, Viking. Have you have you seen anyone talk about Viking at all this season? Really, um, it's not really been too apparent. But they're up to third place, and they've won four games in a row. So I think fair play, and they've got a game in hand on on most teams around them as well. So um, very impressive with them. A two 0 win against Haugesund, another local derby match which they they've won. Uh, beat Brand, of course, recently as well. And uh, a clean sheet, first clean sheet in a while. I think there's a really good feeling around Viking. And, and when, when this club is feeling good, when the players are cl- clearly confident and enjoying football, it's a great place to play football. Last season, they didn't have that. It was a bit more of a miserable atmosphere. But uh, they've got momentum. And, you know, this is a club in the past that can go on streaky runs. And... You know, there is some decent quality here. If they can have maybe add a couple of players in the summer window, then they could well be looking at a definitely a medal position. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you asked if anyone's really talked about Viking. I've seen a lot of talk about uh, Tripic. Is he rumoured to be maybe, Yeah. Is he rumoured to be maybe on the move? How big has his impact been? Uh, it seems like he's, he's maybe the main talking point of Viking at the moment. Yeah, I think there's quite a few um, fantasy players who want to get him in the team, but he's too expensive for him. Um, I think it was uh, a week where everyone kind of knew he would do well, but um, people were reluctant to buy him. Um, but yeah, he look, he's a, he's a brilliant technical player, and he's like a he's like a talisman of the team, and um, he's intelligent, and he's another player that when he's he's had some injury problems, but when he's fully fit. He's a difficult man to stop, you know. I thought he controlled this game. He used his head. Um, I don't think he'll leave them. He actually did leave them. I need to look at his transfer history, but I think he had a year away from the club about three or four seasons ago. Uh, might have been Cyprus or somewhere that he went. Um, you know, I'm just looking now. It's just Gustepe in um, 
in Turkey there. So, yeah, that, it didn't work out for him, though, and he was soon back at Viking within a year. So that was a half a million move. So I think he's had that move. It didn't work out for him. So I think he's going to be quite happy in in, um, in Norway, really, for a bit, unless he gets stupid money in one of these Arab states. So um, I, I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. Yeah, he's 30 years old now, but it seems like, I mean, he got he got uh, he had a decent performance at the weekend. Haugesson, not a team we really tend to talk, talk about too much, but I mean, they're still sort of, they're above Rosenborg at the end of the day with a game in hand on them. So they're not having too bad a season. I think, you, I know you were quite down in, in pre-season, but not, not doing too badly, but we haven't got too much time to talk about them. Let, let's move just on. A quick, just a quick thing about Haugesson. One thing I'll say about them, they've got experience in their squad on their manager and they kind of know how to pinpoint their fixtures that are winnable. And that's what they've done this year. And, you know, looking at it now, I said at the start of the year, I think they'll go down. I actually think they might well have enough to survive now just because they, they've got that nous to know what games to attack. And that's important in football. Yeah, very, very important. And um, on, on the flip side of that, I mean, we talked about Ham County Arlison, two teams down there who you said that they could also maybe survive. Um, but we do have Sanderfield as well in, in the relegation playoff. Um, but one team who isn't really doing too badly from that point of view that you did want to talk about is Starbeck. Now, a bit of controversy, Steve. I mean, in terms of the season, they're not doing too badly, are they? They're ninth. But um, a bit of uh, skullduggery going on there. Well, this is a match that Starbeck should have won. Um, I think they were the better team throughout. They missed a penalty. Musha Kabakanga missed a penalty in the first half. And it looked like they were going to win the game. Right at the death, a goal was scored um, from a corner. Didn't look anything wrong with it. And afterwards, but it was disallowed by VAR on some offside technicality. Um, but the player offside was just not interfering at all. So I, I, don't, I don't know why this goal was disallowed. Lars Vahinen was furious afterwards. Couldn't believe that um, VAR intervened. I think even Sanderfjord was surprised that... Um, this goal was chalked off. So really it's a bit of VAR controversy more than anything in terms of maybe the laws and things like that. I looked at this goal and I had no idea why it was chalked off. So there was a really bad feeling about the end of it from Starbucks perspective that they think they were ch cheated out of three points. Um, and they say they'll look back at the whole 90 minutes and wonder how on earth they didn't get the win um, because they, they were by far the better team. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things I'll spend scan no VAR at the moment. I mean, in a sentence, Steve, are you, are you plus minus on VAR this season so far at the halfway point or nearly of the season and its impact on Norway? It's changed the dynamics of the game. There's, I say, the red card thing, we knew that would happen. Um, players have got to watch, watch themselves and start adapting. They know they can't get away with certain things anymore like that. In the past, you know, you get a yellow card or nothing and now... On VAR, any sort of really strong physical professional fouls and things like that are going to be punished. You know, I think in general they've they've got the quite a lot of the big decisions right, um, but yeah, that one there look that was really poor luck. You know, as good as the the penalty decision was for the Accor Adams one at Lillestrøm there, yeah, that was a, an absolute shambles. So. Uh, at the moment, I think it's definitely uh, more negative than positive for me. Um, but it is its first year in use in the league. So, you know, 
we've got to give them time in that respect, haven't we, to sort of iron things out, I suppose. Um, the system itself, as I've said many times, as a whole global thing, it's not for me. Yeah, I think that's where we'll wrap up the show. Um, got a few more listener questions, but uh, we don't really have time to get get to them. Really, we, we had it's quite been quite a long episode. It um, has, yes. And I'm sure other people. I'm sure you got if you're still listening to this, and you definitely deserve a gold star for your dedication. So please tweet us uh, for listening to the whole thing if you did. Um, one or two other questions. I mean, what is the most significant transfer into and out of each league so far from at Big Sig Five? I think we'll come back to that one. Please do ask it next week if you can. Um, Got a question from Brendan Husabo as well about Asana in the Obos. Um, I think we'll come back to that again as well. So please, yeah, please. And next episode, I've got to have a, a section on Obos because I've been following it this year. So, yeah, we'll come back to that question next week. So, maybe maybe make a note of that, Stephen. Uh, we'll come back to it next week. Um, and we did have a question about Norwegian Cup quarterfinals as well, which we're going to maybe have to cut, cover another time. And one from FPL agent who said, if you could get one Swedish team or one Norwegian team to face off for a single game, which ones? And I think I'm just going <laughs> to take the liberty of answering that question by saying, uh, in the spirit of this episode, we would have Rosenborg against the EFK Jotterborg and the loser goes down. <laughs> That'll be it for this week. Um, thanks a lot, Steve, uh, for all your efforts. And um, we've got, obviously, the return of European football this week. So next week should be interesting. And we're, we're still working on one or two guests, which we might bring to you at a certain point. For now, um, you can find me on Twitter at JFootball. You can find Meatman Soccer at Meatman Soccer. And don't forget the Patreon, Betty Triore episode, player analysis. Very short episodes. These ones, they're like 15, 20-minute analysis. Got another one coming out this week. Stay tuned for that, an exclusive. Um, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. So um, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast. But uh, yeah, thanks for all that, Steve. Yeah, you've nailed it there, Jonathan. I have nothing to add at all apart from... Wishing everyone the best. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time. It was a good episode, that one. And we'll be back for more soon. So goodbye.